my furniture together here. Father, I ask that you send your spirit into our lives, into our homes, and into this church to produce fruit in us so that your will may be done. It's in your son's Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I want us to all read together from Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We're continuing our nine-week series which challenges each one of us to focus on a different fruit of the speech, fruit of the spirit, fruit of the spirit every week. Uh, as we think about what the spirit's doing in our lives and our families and in our church, uh, the reason that the fruit is able to do that is because when we are indwelled with God's Holy Spirit, when the spirit of the Almighty Creator God, the one who sent His Son Jesus and, and places His Spirit within us, when the Spirit dwells within us, we cannot help but be contagiously transformed by the character of God taking root in our lives. So that the fruit of the Spirit is actually taking the character and virtues that are part of God's character and part of God's virtue and contagiously shaping us and transforming us by His presence in our lives. That's the power of the Spirit. And so as we've gone through each of these, uh, one week at a time, this week we move into studying uh, the fruit of goodness. The fruit of goodness that the Spirit produces in the lives of all of those who believe and who allow the Spirit to do its work in us. Uh, and this has, you know, this is one of those, it's kind of interesting as we go through this, and I've told you this with kindness, that when I start preparing the sermon on goodness, uh, I kind of think, well, goodness just means good, right? So just be better than people who don't have the Spirit. Now you're good, right? Uh, but as I begin looking into Scripture, and I begin looking into what the Spirit does in our lives, and get, begin looking at what it means that God is good, you start seeing so much more come out of it. There's a Hebrew word uh, that's pronounced tov, as I, it's been kind of taught to me, tov. Everyone say this together, tov. T-O-V, Tov. Uh, you're probably only familiar with it from the phrase uh, Mazel Tov, which means good luck, right? The good in Mazel Tov is Tov or Tov uh, in Hebrew. And so as we think about what it means for something to be good, something to be Tov, uh, this is a word that doesn't just come up a few times in the Bible. This is a word that is found in Scripture over 700 times in that form or several others, that things that are of God are good, and that God produces in the lives of people goodness, and that the people who follow God become good. And it is a word that in our common usage has become incredibly watered down. And when we talk about this kind of good, we're not talking about the kind of goodness that we often think of uh, when we think of uh, good is slightly better than fine or okay, but not all the way to excellent or awesome. Uh, so that someone might say, hey, I worked really hard on dinner tonight. How was it? And you could reply, it was good. And it's an insult, right? 
good can live in that almost lukewarm space of, eh, but not, yeah. But that's not what tov means. It's not what tov means. Uh, tov is important in the beginning of the Bible when God creates uh, the world that we live in today. And at the end of each day of the creation, he looks upon what he had created and he sees that it is tov. The creation is good. We see uh, that God is constantly bringing goodness into the world. God is constantly a source for creating increasing amounts of goodness in the world. And, and this is the kind of good that when you see someone and you say, that is a good person. See, when you say good that way, it has this idea of that is a person who has integrity. That's a person who is genuine. It's a person who's sincere. That person is all good all the way through without pockets of darkness or, or shame or deceit in them. They are all good all the way through. And, and that really gets the idea of tov, that when something has the goodness that the Spirit brings into their lives, it carries the weight of integrity and sincerity and of being good all the way through without exception. It has a, a sense of purity to it. And the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that the Spirit produces in us is always rooted in the character and nature of God. So it's no surprise when we turn to the Psalms that there's a number of Psalms uh, that cry out and praise God for His goodness. Because we often sing in church about how God is good. Many of our songs this morning talked about the goodness of God or how God is good. And so we read about and we pray about and we talk about and we know about and we sing about God's goodness without ever really often stopping to think about what that means. But in Psalm 119.68, the psalmist writes to God, he says, You are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. God, you are tov. Psalm 23 and verse 6 says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, God, your tovness and love will go everywhere I go. God's goodness goes with us. You know, and we being, being made in God's image, and we being transformed in the image of Jesus by the power of the Spirit, we are designed and created to have this, this essence of toveness planted in each one of us. We're designed to be good. That's what God intends. And so in Ephesians 5, verse 8, 10, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consist in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then find out what pleases the Lord. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, listen, don't you know if you're going to be the people of light, not the people of darkness, if you want to be the children of light, the first thing that the Spirit is going to produce in you, the first thing that light produces in you is goodness. It's goodness. It's this idea of not being made of multiple things, but being made of one thing all the way through the goodness and integrity of God. 
not with the shadow side, not with the secret shame, not with the pockets of all the stuff and the garbage that we tend to bring along with us. There's the old story of the crusaders who would get baptized before they would go off to war. And as they were being baptized, they would take their sword and hold it above the water. And all of them would go under the water except for their sword. And the idea was, God, I give you everything but this. And every one of us has those pockets of our lives that when we metaphorically go into the waters and come out, that, that there's something that we're holding on to that say, God, I give you all of me except this. And you know what that thing is, because when I say that right now, what you just thought is, I hope he's not talking about my thing he doesn't know about. Does he know about it? I hope he doesn't know about it. That's the thing I'm talking about. The secret stuff that you, you just say, God, I want your goodness, but not in this pocket. Not in this shadow. I'm going to hang on to that. But God didn't design us to be made of two things. In fact, if you go all the way back to the law, there's this law. Uh, whenever people want to talk about silly commands in the Bible, they often go to Leviticus 19.19. 19. And I want to read it to you. And then I, and we'll talk about it a little bit, but, but God's giving the law to Israel and he says, keep my decrees. Do not make different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Now, who were all you dirty sinners that wore poly cotton blends to church this morning? Because it's time. There's going to be an invitation song at the end. And if you're 50% polyester and 50% cotton, come on down. <laughs> if your garden has been planted with more than just tomatoes, if you've also got peppers and asparagus, come on down. Your field should only have one seed. Uh, it's what makes this law fun to make fun of. Uh, it feels silly, and, and there's been lots of explanations and attempts to try and give it a practical sense. Like uh, back then in those days, uh, they would have been blending cotton and wool, and if you blend cotton and wool, it deteriorates quicker. So God in his law is just giving laundry advice, uh, which is possible. The law goes into incredible minutia at times. Uh, but for what it's worth, I, I tend to think that more of what's going on here is that God is giving Israel very practical reminders in the field of agriculture and in the field of, uh, of even sewing and creating clothes, a reminder that says you should be of one thing. You should have purity. Have purity in your agriculture. Have purity in your clothing. Your clothes should not be made of two fibers, and your fields shouldn't be planted of two seeds. You should be people that are all the way genuine, all the way pure, all the way through, and that these laws were intended as reminders of those things. And I don't know that that's true, but as the rabbis would pass this teaching down to their children, they would add that teaching to it. These are the ways we do things because we are the people of God and the people of God are to be of one thing all the way through. We are to be pure. We are to be consistent. We are to have un, unimpeachable, unimpeccable integrity all the way through. We aren't supposed to be part good and part bad. We aren't supposed to be uh, made up of a whole mix of different influences. We are to be shaped with God's goodness, 
made of one fiber and planted of one seed. And when the Spirit comes into us and dwells in us, it starts to push out that which is not of God's goodness so that we can be filled with the light, becoming children of light. Children of light are, first of all, good. They're tove. They have the toveness of God in them and in us. And I want to show you, I want to look at two stories that show uh, people who were doing good things, but the question remains, are they good people? And the first one is in Daniel chapter 1, a story where uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has gone and he's destroyed Jerusalem and he's taken off the wealthy and the learned among the people and he's taken them off to his, uh, into exile. And the people are lamenting and they're grieving and they are a people who have lost a war and are now being forced to live in someone else's land. And Nebuchadnezzar goes among the people and he says, I want the best and the brightest to be taken away from their homes and brought into what is kind of a university where he's going to train them in his school to become the best servants and advisors and assistants to him from all over the world so that he's got the best and brightest in his court as his servants. And Nebuchadnezzar is a famously cruel king. One who everyone in this story is afraid of, except for those who choose to do what God wants them to do. So listen to this story. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. It's interesting to me that all these years later, we still know Daniel by his Hebrew name, while we know the others by the Babylonian names given to them. But maybe it shouldn't be interesting when the story continues and we see that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and your drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And I think it's worth stopping for a minute in this story to see what's going on. Is, is that Daniel sees the food that is being offered to them from the king's table and he says, I want to eat the food that is expected to me of God and that will not defile me. Not the food that the king has assigned for me. And when you look at the food that's been offered here, I think there's a couple things that are really kind of coming through in the story. The king's food appears to look better and taste better and be healthier. 
The guard is concerned. If you don't eat the king's food, you're going to start to look malnourished. And we don't know exactly what it is that was about the king's food that would have defiled Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, we're not told. We don't know if it, it wasn't kosher. Uh, and in that way, they were trying to, to keep with God's kosher food laws that he had given to the Israelites. Uh, we don't know if the problem was that the food that was on the king's table had been uh, sacrificed and offered to idols. And that even though Daniel knew that those idols weren't real, that he wanted to resist having any part of a sacrifice that was made to idols, uh, which would have fit the idea that the meat and the wine would have been part of, of that idol worship and sacrifice, and he would resist those things. But I think it's also worth noting uh, that the guard says, listen, if you don't stay healthy and fit and the king sees you looking scrawny, it's my job to take care of the livestock. And if you start looking puny, I'm going to be in trouble, not you. So you're going to eat what the king puts in front of you. And if you're Daniel, wouldn't it be easy at this point to say, listen, Lord, I tried to eat the gross food. I told this guy that, that you'd take care of me. Listen, God, I tried, but I'm just going to have to do what has to be done to survive, and I'm going to eat this better, healthier, tastier food of Babylon. Don't you think that, that, that any of us in that situation would say, I, God will understand, I'm in a difficult circumstance, a difficult situation. I, I've made a good first effort, and I maybe even made a second effort. And, and here I am, uh, that's enough. I need to go ahead and just eat what is put in front of me. Everyone's afraid of this guy. If I keep objecting, I might be the one whose head ends up on a platter. But Daniel doesn't take just one attempt or two attempts. So in verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, listen, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young, man, young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them. And he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. God blesses them. For Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this opportunity is placed in front of them to choose whether to do this small good thing, which is to stay on the diet that God has given them. In all, in all the world of good things and grand gestures, this is really a small thing. And yet in this small thing that no one knows about and they keep a secret throughout and that is just for them and the guard, it doesn't even appear that the chief official who told them no initially knows about it. 
But in big ways and small ways, these men are committed to doing what God wants. They don't go back on excuses and they don't have compromises. They aren't the kind of people who say, eh, you know, it's not like our rabbis and priests are here. It's not like we're going to be held accountable. It's not like we don't have good excuses. They had all of that. And they said, no, in this little thing, we're going to be good all the way through. And God was faithful to them and blessed them and rewarded them. It's no surprise later that after watching Daniel have these conversations that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to sit down and bow down and worship a king. And they said, you can throw us in a fire if you want. God may save us, he may not, but we're not bowing down to anyone that isn't God. Because in the small ways, they said, if we're good and have integrity in these little things and God takes care of us, how much more so can we have this goodness all the way through in the big stuff? in the life-threatening stuff, when things are getting hot and the furnace is raging, and they say, no, 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 we've already learned. We're going to maintain our integrity. In the second story, in Acts chapter 5, early church is beginning, and, and one of the things that's happening in the early church is that there are people who are being incredibly generous to people that they would not have been generous to before. People that were not all like them, but they're starting to treat each other like, uh, if you're a widow, I'm going to treat you like my mother. And if you're an orphan, I'm going to take care of you like you're my child. And if you have an unbelievable need, I'm going to take care and provide for you like you're my brother or my sister. And from time to time among them, some of them start even selling their real estate and taking the proceeds from the real estate and laying it at the feet of the apostles so that the apostles might then use it as could best benefit those who were in need. Those who, uh, especially one named Joseph, was come to be known as Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, and it appears that there's a connection between his generosity and his new nickname. There's a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, who see this, and they also sell a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And Ananias and Sapphira do this grand gesture. If staying on a kosher diet, a diet that, that God has given to Daniel, is a small thing, this is a grand thing. They're going and they're selling a piece of property and they're giving a large amount of the money that they got from the land and they're giving it to the apostles and they're saying, use this to take care of the poor among us. And we don't know the amount, or we don't know real estate values of ancient Israel, we don't know what's going on, but the idea certainly is there that there are a tremendous number of people who would have been blessed by the generosity of Ananias and Sapphira. And Peter asks them, wasn't it your money? Couldn't you, let's say you wanted to give us half. Are you allowed to give us half? Yes. What if you gave us a third? Aren't you allowed to give us a third? Yes. You know, this is kind of an unheard of thing. 
there's not many people that I know of who in a church fundraiser went and said, you know what, I'm going to go sell a rental property that I own. And I'm just going to give all the equity in this property to the church. That's a big gesture. This is radical generosity. It was a good action. But the problem was that it was not done by people with God's goodness in them. Their good action was clouded by the fact that they did it to get selfish honor. And that their generosity with their finances was overcome by their greed for their reputation. You see, they were made of two things. Sown of two fibers, planted of two seeds. Not of one thing, not of goodness, not of integrity, not of wholeness. They were both good and bad. They held on to the shadow while pretending to live in the light. And for this, there is a consequence. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. And then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. And Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these <coughs> events. It's worth noting that this is not the standard punishment for people that lie about their giving at church. Uh, if that was too good of news to you, then you may also come repent with the people with polyfiber blends later. Um, this is a pivotal point for Christianity. It's a pivotal point for the followers of Jesus. Because all through Jesus' ministry, he's having to deal with people that he describes as whitewashed tombs who look good on the outside and are dead on the inside. He says you clean the outside of the cup while you leave the inside filthy and disgusting. And he sees people that, that are going about doing good things for their honor and not for the sake of go, glory going to God. And, and God needs the church to know this will no longer be tolerated. It has been going on in my temples and my synagogues for too long and it will not take place in my churches. It will not take place in the families among you who are even still living in Judaism, going to start practicing a different way of living that is self-emptying and God-honoring, that is not of two minds, that is not good on Sunday and bad on Thursday, but is of one whole goodness. And so the Spirit seeks to produce in all of those who are followers of Jesus this goodness that goes all the way through. You know, Jesus often spoke of the genuine goodness that's expected in his disciples and followers. Luke 6, the text that was read earlier, Jesus teaches, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick, thorn, pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. 
good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Your heart and your mouth cannot be disconnected if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. They're going to be tied together because you have to be of one fiber. Romans 15, Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome, and he says this about them. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of toveness. You're full of goodness. You're full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. You know, I hope if Paul wrote Northwest a letter today that he would say that about us. Northwest Church of Christ, I'm convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. I hope that he would say it about your families and your homes. I hope that he would say it about your life, your mouth, your heart. But I've got to ask you today, is there something that you are letting get in the way of the Spirit's desire to produce this kind of genuine integrity in you that you're holding on to and saying, God, do you get all of me except God, you can bring your spirit into me and help me to be good in all of the areas of my life, except what are the exceptions that you need to let the spirit penetrate with his goodness? What are the things that you need to allow God's spirit to have its way with you to work out the shadow and the pockets of the the gross world that we live in and fill it with God's goodness? Are you holding on to some shadows rather than surrendering to the light? I'm not calling you to perfection. The reality is that even Jesus once is called a good teacher, and he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Only God is tov. But the spirit that is of God dwells in us and desires to keep growing in ever-increasing amounts the fruit of goodness that works not just in parts of you, but works all the way through, pushing out duplicity and growing purity and integrity. Are you willing to let the spirit do that in your life and in your house and in this church as we go to the world and we start making it harder and harder for the world to accuse us of being hypocrites? Because we're people that are full of the toveness of God. And church, I've got to say, if you need to become a Christian today so the Spirit of God can be doing that work in you and through you, don't wait. Don't keep holding on to the shadow stuff. Don't keep holding on to the things that are not of God's goodness. Let go of those things and instead be filled with all that is of God. Be filled with His Spirit. Let His Spirit begin producing all of the different character traits of God in you through the work of the Spirit because Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. If today you need to respond to that good news, that tove news that is the gospel, please come forward as we stand and sing.